listening to the Even Odds Podcast on the Constructed Criticism Network. Here are your hosts, Mason and Trey, and thank you for rolling with us. Hello, everybody, to the 23rd episode of the Even Odds Podcast. I am your mythic invitational watcher on Twitch, host Mason, joined by my friend, Trey McLarnan. <laughs> I just got friend. <laughs> you, you've been working a lot this week. I couldn't think of anything magic related for you. I have been working a lot this week. Hyped for spoiler season, Trey? Oh, for sure. Okay. For sure. I'll edit that out. Also, I love the fact that every week, I don't know what number episode it is until you say it when we're recording. And I'm like, oh, 23. We made it to the old Michael Jordan number. Pretty yeah. excited about that. I know you love the sports. I missed the Taylor Swift reference of 22 last week, and it broke my heart. <laughs> Not as much as it broke hers. She yeah. thought you were a true fan. Yep. I told her. Stay strong. Don't cry. Not on the podcast. Yeah. Well, we've got a pretty cool episode this week. We're going to be talking about grinding in Magic, specifically for like the Mythic Invitational. Uh, I'm sorry, for the grind to Mythic on Arena and then slash Top 1000 from there. And grinding in real life. Because we think those two topics relate a lot to each other. So we're going to give you an old two for one. Those are pretty good. That's a free tip for you right there. But first, a word from our sponsor. As you might have been able to guess, our sponsor this week, Wayfinder Travel Agency. They're back with this fall's must-see experience. Is it in your nature to nurture nature? Are you enthralled by the majestic splendor available outside the confines of the city? Then you'll love the newest offering from Wayfinder Travel Agency. It's the Selesnia Myriad of Dryads Fall Colors Tree Extravaganza. You can stroll through the foliage-draped trails on your way to gaze at the Vitugazi city tree. Also, every ticket purchased comes with a free token to exchange for a Tristani Crestini at the B&B at the end of the hike. So don't wait. Book the Selesnia Myriad of Dryad Fall Colors Tree Extravaganza now. It's a beautiful walk, for sure. I, you know, I have nothing to say because I, I was at a loss for words at the end of it. So I'm, I'm amazed at myself that I got through that without stuttering. <laughs> yeah, that was impressive. There was a lot of tongue twisters in there. I definitely couldn't have done that. So we have no Patreon question exactly this week. There's a lot of talk going on in our Discord right now, which you can join being a patron of if you know odds pod on patreon.com for a dollar or more a month uh and there's a lot of talk about the spoilers because when we're recording this is the sunday of the mythic invitational and all these cards are getting released in fact in the time it took us to start the show more planeswalkers got released so we're just going to talk about a couple of the cards that we think are really cool and got us excited and trey i want to start with one of the cooler cards i've seen and also one of the more powerful cards and that's liliana dead horde general it's four black black for a legendary planeswalker lillian which we're already starting off at a high point, right? Like normally six mana planeswalkers, that's a that's a tough bar to be playable. Yeah, like if you're like we're talking Elspeth Sun's champion level. Right. Yeah. Or, or Big Chandra. <laughs> Big, Big Chandra was good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so one thing to note if you haven't been keeping up, every planeswalker in this set's gonna have a triggered or passive ability. So just get used to that. So this Liliana's passive ability is whenever a creature you control dies, draw a card. Plus one, you can make a two-two black zombie creature token. Minus four, each player sacrifices two creatures, and minus nine, each opponent chooses a permanent they control of each permanent type and sacrifice the rest. So basically, it's going to put them at one land for all, like, no matter what, which is going to win the game. And uh, Liliana comes in at six loyalty. This card seems really good, but not busted, which I'm super happy about. 
Yeah, and I like it. You know, I also like the the classic like powerful planeswalker thing of like having abilities on it that are cards, mm-hmm. right? Like its minus ability is barter and blood, mm-hmm. right? And so I like I just like seeing that where they're like functional reprints in a way of like older cards that they've had in some way or another and so i think that's a fun thing to have tacked onto this yeah and her plus ability and her passability work so well together because her passability doesn't say non uh, non non-token creature it just says when a creature you control dies so when you're ticking it up even if they're attacking in and killing your liliana let's let's assume they attack all in at your liliana and it's going to kill it you can choose to chump block and like just trade your zombie for a card which is something like a lot of the time and also against the a mass mechanic, the zombie will probably protect itself a lot. If your opponent tries to go in on one big threat, that zombie's just gonna churn away and they can't not attack it because you're gonna build up multiple zombies and work towards that ultimate. Or you can just minus kill their amass token immediately. It's very cool. Yeah, I think that Planeswalker is gonna be really cool. And I also think the Aristocrat style decks will play this card as like a top end. The minus ability is very good there because you're like sacrificing your own creatures for value. Draw cards off Midnight Reaper, draw cards off Liliana. Really just an amazing card. It's really cool. Things they're going to push in Aristocrat's type strategy is always something I'm going to be excited about. <laughs> yeah. I, there's so much more I could talk about this walker, but we're trying to make this quick. So let's move on to the next card because this isn't a spoiler episode for sure. Right. So one of the things that's going to be interesting about this set that's obviously been big talk about it is that there are going to be multiple Planeswalkers at multiple rarities. Right. So one of those ones that I want to mention right now is Vraska Swarm's Eminence, which is an uncommon Planeswalker. And I'm bringing it up specifically to show the kind of difference that you get between a rare and an uncommon when we're looking at Planeswalkers in this set. Lillian's a mythic, by the way. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. But so this is a uh, black-green, black-green hybrid mana. First time for that. Um, And then two colorless. Or rather, too generic mana, to use the, the appropriate terminology. It has a passive ability that is whenever a creature you control with death touch deals damage to a player or planeswalker, put a plus one, plus one counter on that creature. And then it has only a minus ability, which is minus two, create a one, one black assassin creature token with death touch. And whenever this creature deals damage to a planeswalker, destroy that planeswalker. So it has death touch for normal, and then it also now has like... Walker uh, touch. Well, it's the weird stinkweed death touch that's like not really death touch, but it is death touch, oh, but yeah. for planeswalkers, right? It's like a triggered ability that, death touch. Yeah. So like it's going to use the stack, which the only time that's ever happened before is with stinkweed up. So that's a really interesting. So can like stifle it. Yeah, you could if that were <laughs> there's a thing. A sti- there's a stifle and standard. Don't yeah. sleep on it. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's right. There's that uh, that the blue green hybrid card. Yeah. yeah. Um, Saffron Olive is going to have that come into a video near you soon. Yeah, but that is going to be a weird thing because this is not like truly Death Touch. It is a triggered ability similar to Stinkweed Imp, but it will also like one damage kill Planeswalker. So like this is a really cool and interesting card. It does come in with five loyalty. Yeah, so you can minus twice and still have it as like an aura or whatever. Also, an interesting thing about this card is normally Death Touch creatures like one ones in limited, they kind of just get through a lot, right? Like if you choose to attack with them, a lot of times like hit me for one. This one gets bigger and bigger. So, like, you can't, you eventually have to trade off with this card. And so far, we've seen a lot of cards that make tokens for Planeswalkers and they only tick down. But if everyone has a Planeswalker, like, more Planeswalkers in the deck probably means less creatures. So, it could be a thing where uh, things that make creatures are even better. And, like, this card can easily get out of hand, I feel. Yeah, I think so. And I think that having those kind of recurring sources and ways to, like, make those kind of things happen. To like build creatures and do things like that, especially because there's going to be a lot of attempts, I think, to make super friend style type of decks with a lot of different kinds of planeswalkers, which is going to, like you said, reduce your creature count overall. Yeah, and this is a tool for that too, right? If you're in green or black, you can play this and like, let's say there's a dominant Esper super friends deck. You play this, they're like, whoa, I've got to draw spot removal now. 
like immediately. And that's not even talking about any proliferate or any other shenanigans. This card threatens to kill all your planeswalkers, regardless of the loyalty. Take that to fairy. Just in time. <laughs> uh, invade the City is the next card I want to talk about. Uh, $10 patron Lucas actually sent me this card, and I thought he brought up a great point. This could be a card you play in like a blue-red Drake-style deck. Uh, it is a sorcery for one blue-red that says a mass X, where X is the number of instants or sorceries in your graveyard. So a mass is, it makes uh, an army token, which is supposed to represent Bolas's army of the undead, and then you put plus one plus one counters on it and if you don't have a token it makes one and if you do have one you have to add it so it either becomes a pump spell for another mass or becomes an xx creature essentially so this card in a blue red drake deck is like hey if you want to have like something like another drake essentially this is like a one-time drake that the next one doubles its power which is like a cool twist on the deck that also works very well with the strategy right like you might want more creatures post board against certain styles of decks and it's like well, I don't want to play more creatures because I'm playing a Drake or an Arclight deck. This fixes that problem. Yeah, but if I'm going to use my one time, it's not going to be on a Drake. Ayo! <laughs> next card, am I right? <laughs> uh, What's the next one you want to talk about? Do you want to talk about Tybalt? I know you love him. Oh, uh, no. No, right. Tybalt's Tibble, playable. Keep talking. Uh, <laughs> no, there, there is a card that, that was uh, spoiled that I think is kind of interesting. It's called Ignite the Beacon which is a white and four generic instant search your library for up to two planeswalker cards, reveal them, put them into your hand and then shuffle your library. Like these kind of tutor effects have been printed before and they haven't ever really seen a lot of play. And I think that one of the reasons for that is that they've almost always been sorceries. And so with ignite the beacon being an instant, I think that there is something interesting in a control style deck, especially one that wants to play a small number of win conditions to maximize the spells that they have. And that might have situational planeswalkers for what it is that they're looking at. And so this becomes a really interesting utility card that could be the glue for that type of an Esper control deck or something else going down and going forward. Um, that might actually see play because you like are already leaving mana up for counter spells or chemisters inside or something else. And now you can just go like, Oh, I don't want to tap out this turn because they might have Teferi next turn or they might have something else next turn. And it's like, well, now they definitely do because they just search it up after you tap out. Yeah. Also, it's just a thing where it's like, like you said, if there are Planeswalkers that are bullets, like Tybalt, for example, and we're not going to go over it, but it has a clause that says your opponents can't gain life. So if we assume there are cards like that that do things, you might have them in your sideboard as what you would normally have an enchantment as. And this is able to tutor them. And if you have enough Planeswalkers, that might be a card worth looking at when normally those kind of cards are just aren't enough good cards to go grab. So I think that's very cool. Last card I think we should talk about before we leave. I'll let you decide. Bitter Blossom or Ravages? Uh, yeah, let's talk about Bitter Blossom because the question comes down to, is it Bitter Blossom? <laughs> I, I think that's a bad question. Dead Horde Invasion, one in a black enchantment. At the beginning of your upkeep, you lose one life and amass one. So that's make the zombie, make the army token. So go make a 1-1. One, one. If you have one, it'll get plus one, plus one. So, for example, you had a 2-2 two, two amass, it becomes a 3-3. Three, three. Card's not done, though. It says whenever a zombie token you control with power 6 or greater attacks, it gains lifelink until end of turn. Two things really cool about that. One, helps you, like, not lose your Unbitter Blossom, which was, like, a bad feeling, right? Two, also, it's safer because you're going all in and Bitter Blossom goes wide. This is a card for zombie decks, like in Commander and just casual play. If you have a bunch of Lords, now all your zombies have lifelink, which is really cool. Yeah, I think this card is really cool. Like, I, th I think you did cut on uh, touch on the key difference, right? Like... Like, Bitter Blossom goes wide, this card goes up. Right? Yes, like, tall. Yeah, yeah. And so, I do think that this card is really cool. I think that this card is going to see play, and it's going to be a lot of, like, interesting game situations as a result of it. But it's not going to be necessarily just, like, the, the like, unstoppable advantage that you get from, like, 
bitter blossom, right? Like you have a bitter blossom down that's unanswered for a few turns, like you can't catch back up. Yeah. Right? Like this could be down unanswered for a couple of turns, you get a spot removal spell, and then you're back in it, right? Yeah. That, that's true. I would I would say that like because I know a lot of people are dogging on this card. I would say that Bitter Blossom's like a ten or an eleven type of card when it comes to like this sort of effect, and this seems like a six or a seven. And one thing that I think we talked about last season a lot was like the Vanifar pod thing, right? Where it's like it isn't pod. It's Vanifar. It has different weaknesses and has more weaknesses. But in a standard environment, that can be okay. We also live in a different time. And that card, the other cards weren't okay. So, right. yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. if a card's not okay and we have a slightly weaker version, also, this one has synergies just like Fairy did. We haven't even talked about it, right? So, like, you could play that blue-red amass thing and maybe your Grixis deck, and then, boom, you hit that thing up and hit him for six on a turn when they thought they were going to take two. Right? Yep. So lots of cool things you can do with that card. No, I think this card's going to be really interesting. And you were right about Bitter Blossom not being okay. As someone who has cast a lot of that card <laughs> a lot of different times, it is not okay. Oh, I compl- I thought we talked about this, but we didn't. We have to talk about this one. Because this is a card I haven't seen anyone talk about that seems really cool to me. And I'm sure Alion Trolling and Saffron Olive are going to be all over it. That's Emergency Zone. It's a land. It taps for a colorless mana where you can one and sacrifice this card. You may cast uh, spells this turn as if they had flash. So one interesting thing about that is it's quickened for all your spells, which I don't know if that matters, but it's worth mentioning at least. But really, it's a land that turns into quicken, and that seems really cool to me. Yeah, I mean, there has been a quicken effect on a land previously in a standard environment. It wasn't a sacrifice, but it was a uh, tap blue-green and uh, one or something like that to, to give a spell flash. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a really cool effect, and you could do a lot of really messed up stuff. And so the, this card is something that's going to have some potential... Uh, can do some weird stuff, even just things like making sweepers instant speed. Like, think about how huge that is when it happens, right? Um, so I do think that this is a card to keep an eye on. Yeah. I'll say this before we go. The red-white land destruction deck, right, that uh, Ali Andrazi was playing before, played Star of Extinction, had Crucible as his con to, like, loot Memorial of War. If you, like, flash in a Star of Extinction at the end of your opponent's turn after they, like, deploy to the board or when they think they're going to win... That's pretty hot because, like, Star of Extinction has the problem of it being tempo negative, right? Because, well, not tempo negative, but, like, you have to use your turn to play the card. Now you don't, and you get it back with Crucible. So cool things you can do with Crucible. I, we tried to highlight the cards that do cool things. I'm excited. We didn't even talk about the unbeatable card advantage card, potentially. Ball, actually, Ball also said that seems like a cool card. But whatever. Let's move on. We can talk about this all day. We had a good thing. Hopefully, that gave you the wet your appetite a little bit. It's going to be three weeks of spoilers, Trey. Ooh. Every card is going to a creator. So that's exciting. That not is not, exciting. Not us, but every every card. Yeah. We'll be here um, talking about the scraps that, that were left for, uh, uh, for the Even Odds pod. Yep. Well, let's move on to our main topic now. So this week, or we're going to talk about grinding the mythic and grinding events in general. And I really wanted to start with what do we mean by like grinding events and stuff like that for maybe someone that hasn't really is like newer to competitive magic and that kind of stuff. Right. Well, so, like, it's tough to say on what it's going to be now. We think there's going to be MCQs. Like, that seems like what it is going to be yeah. structurally. Yeah, MCQs, IQs, and Arena seems to be the three things we'll be grinding. Right. Like, that hasn't been formally announced yet as far as MCQs, but we've seen some some things that seem to indicate that that's what it's going to be. Well, no, some stores have announced it. So. Right, yeah, 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 but they haven't, like, Wizards hasn't formally announced what the structure is going to be. I Yeah, I'm not sure. They have I don't not. Want, okay. Yeah, um, So which is weird, but they've, like, had communications with individual stores about events, but they've not announced it to the public. Uh, so that's strange. But so what you end up with is 
you know, you can have your basically regular weekends or there's either going to be an IQ somewhere that's drivable for you, an MCQ that's somewhere drivable for you, or a larger event, whether that's an SCG Open or an uh, GP. Yep, and if there's not that, there's Arena Top 1000 to queue for the big PTQ on there. That's right. And, you know, that's often characterized as a grind because it doesn't stop, right? Like, it just keeps happening all the time, and you hit a certain level or you get to a different point, and then it resets and you have to start over. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that can be really wearing on you, right? It's like you're always doing these things, and Magic is a game that, like, uh, it rewards consistency more so than spikes, right? Like, up until this weekend, winning one tournament didn't have... It had a good amount of money, but not really a life-changing amount of money, you know? Whoever wins today between... uh, I think it's Mangucci and Andre in the finals. I'm not actually positive. It's Mangu- no, it's uh, Mangucci Savage. Savage. Uh, oh, did Savage beat Andre? Yeah. Okay, my yeah, bad. Yeah. So, like, uh, you know, whoever wins with that one is going to win $250,000, and that's a life-changing amount of money. But that's not something that, like, our listeners are really, you know, most people are going to interact with at all. It's a constant grind. And we're going to talk about how to approach that because it can be wearing on you, and it can affect your results as well. Right. Well, and one thing that's always key about looking at grinding magic is that if you're grinding magic for the result of making money, you are going to have a bad time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, you know, that, that is one thing to kind of talk about when it comes to this is being aware of your goals. And it's something we talk about a lot on the podcast is knowing what you want out of magic and that can help decide where you want to be on the grind. For example, I've played a lot of events back to back to back to back in the last couple of weeks. I could have gone and played an IQ yesterday. But I knew that like I didn't really need to play the IQ and that I have to grind a Mythic tonight to get top 1,000. So I'd rather spend my time doing that. So just that's an example of just knowing what you want out of Magic, knowing what your goals are, and doing things appropriately. Because it's easy just to be like on autopilot mode. It's like, I've been doing really well at IQs. I just top forward an SCG. I should go play this local IQ. It's easy just to autopilot that. But it's important to know, no, that's not what my goal is in Magic. I've accomplished the goal to get to the Invitational. Now what do I do? And adjusting and readjusting. We'll talk more about that in a second. But Trey, like, is uh, grinding something that you struggle with balancing and whatnot? Because I know that can be a real balancing act for a lot of people. It, it is a balancing act. Uh, you know, I don't struggle with it so much anymore, you know. And part of it is, is two things. One, like, trying to clearly define what my goals are and realizing that those goals aren't static, mm-hmm. right? Like, that I may have goals at certain times. I may be, like, really going hard. Uh, at certain times and then there may be other times that for life reasons or other things that I have to back off a little bit and there used to be when I was doing that early on that like I would get mad about it like you know which was a horrible thing because like magic was this like escape magic was this thing that I did for fun and even though I was doing it competitively I was having like a good time doing it and then when I was taken away from it for one reason or another for like real responsibilities Mm -hmm. then I'm upset about it it's like well why is this being a source of anxiety why is this being a source of of you know uh anger and fear and all of these other kinds of things and and so that became a big like breakthrough moment and like looking at grinding and everything else is that when I couldn't do it the way that I had been previously is like giving myself permission not to do that like that it's okay to to do that that my goals don't have to be constant and static Mm -hmm. yeah and it's good to just like evaluate once again like where you're at with things so I think that's an important thing before we go any further and like talking about how to approach it and how to fight off fatigue and all that kind of stuff is just stop the podcast pause it think about what are my goals in magic especially if this is something you're finding that you're struggling with figure that out and then kind of come back and apply this other stuff we're going to talk about because if i think if you don't know that 
you're kind of just wandering event to event and it can be very hard. And you don't have to know immediately, but at least have some short-term goals. Yeah, and the thing that, that can become hard with that too is that I see a lot of players do this and it's a thing I've been guilty of in the past too where you're just comparing yourself constantly to the people around you. Mm-hmm. And if there's somebody that's going harder than you, there's somebody that's going to more events than you are and there's somebody that's having more success than you are and you're like, why am I not doing that? Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, maybe because you don't want to. Yeah. Like, and that's okay. Well, also, I think that's that was one thing I wanted to talk about when we got to the ladder. So let's talk about this and we'll transition to ladder on Arena real quick. Uh, you, you are your own person and someone else's results do not def- should not define you as a person, right? I think it's good to have a healthy relationship and a healthy competition. Trey and I compete all the time. But the fact that I got top four at the SCG isn't going to make Trey, like ruin Trey's life. It's going to like be like Trey's like, I want to like, you know, I want to be up there too. You know what I mean? Right, it's the second. As far as I'm concerned, in that situation, it's the second best result that could happen. Yeah, <laughs> the first best result could happen is me doing it, yeah. and the second best result is my friend doing it. Mm-hmm. Right, like that. Yeah. I don't see that in any negative light ever. Right, and uh, yeah. So, yeah, the- no, one hundred percent. Yeah, but I, I, that's the thing that I see with other people. It's like, um, and this is more so I think in past games I've played, but it's like, oh, they're doing so much better than me, and it's like creating an unhealthy relationship instead of like a healthy strive to do better and like have a bar or something to reach to which i think like having goals of like i want to beat this person or i want to do better than them is like healthy when you approach it the right way right it's like i have a goal that i want to push myself and challenge myself with my friends right in a healthy relationship but when it comes unhealthy is when you obsess over doing better than them and you want to see people fail because of it yeah Mm -hmm. absolutely and that goes on the ladder too so let's talk about uh, a Mythic Arena ladder, and then we'll go back to real-life events. Uh, we'll transition to those, I should say. <laughs> With ladder on Arena, you're constantly being compared to other people at all times. You have a number if you're in the top 1,000. You have a percentile, what percentile of Mythic player you are, and you're literally being compared to everyone. If you're on Twitter, social media, stuff like that, you look and it's like, uh, you know, Henry is 60, he's like number 66 right now on the ladder, or he was yesterday, right? It's like, you are being like literally compared to another player because of the system, but it's not like I'm a worse player or a worse person because Henry's higher than me, right? It's just like, way to go, Henry. You're crushing it right now. You're number 66. That's awesome. But it can be easy to fall into that trap where it's like, I need to do better. Like, look, he's doing better. I'm so far behind everyone else. I can't catch up. Yeah, well, and the other part of it is too is like, it reaches a point like, what are you trying to do? Like, we talked about the goal setting. Like, okay, the only thing that you need to do, if your goal is to grind arena, like, your goal is that I want to qualify for the Mythic Championship, was the which is the only thing that, like, if you're grinding arena from a competitive standpoint that you're looking for, right? Mm-hmm. And so, in order to qualify, I've got to get in the top 1,000 of players. In one of these two months. Each, and, each yeah, cycle. but that's what the point of I was going to make, is, like, I've got to get in the top 1,000 of players by the end of the month. And if you're... 66th or your 999th it doesn't matter like those both get the same thing Mm -hmm. right and so this idea that you have to somehow be at the top of it in some way is not necessary like the only reason that you really get an advantage by grinding to the top as much as possible is one you get social media points which is which is important which which is important yeah right depending especially if you're a content creator and then two you have more room to decay right like you can take some time off on playing and you can decay without falling out of what the goal area is um, but then the other thing to realize is too, is like, okay, so you don't do it this month. Say stuff happens. Like right now I've got to shoot this afternoon. I'm not going to get to play very much. I'm probably not going to be top 1000 this month. Next month qualifies for the exact same tournament, mm-hmm. right? Like 
so I'm not out anything. I haven't lost anything. I didn't squander an opportunity. Any of those other kinds of things that you run into. It's just about like trying to like clarify what it is that you're trying to gain and what it is that you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say like I was at like 98% or whatever this morning and I played a game and I was starting to lose that game and my internet died and I disconnected and I lost like 3 or 4% because that person was like way below me on percents and that's how it works. And it's like, okay, whatever. I was going to lose that game anyways. Wait for my internet to reset. Made sure it was stable. Went back on. It was beating a monitor green person who was also below me in percent. Internet disconnected again for some reason. And now I'm at like 91%. And all that work I did is gone. But at the end of the day, my goal was to like play Magic and get in that spot, right? So even though I've lost some games, it's not like the end of the world to me. And I know that even if I don't make this goal, I have another chance. And even if I miss it next month, right? Because next month is going to be pretty hard. When it resets, we're going to have like three days to grind. And it's going to be the first three days of the new set being out on Arena. That's going to be crazy and people who are on top of it are going to do really well if i don't make it it's not the end of the world it's not like i failed and i'm not gonna kill myself where you know like well, not, not actually but like tear myself up because i didn't make my goal and it's so being aware that i'm grinding a lot and my goal is always shifting and the target is hard and that failure is while it's something i don't want to do is a realistic outcome yeah absolutely <clears throat> one of the things too is that grinding in any type of situation in like arena grinding specifically or any type of a ladder system always points to this it takes a lot of time regardless of what status you're at or what level you're coming from or anything else to get to the point of qualifying for whatever the event is it just takes a lot of hours whether you have a high win weight a low run weight you know whether you're like uh like someone who's really good or you're just getting started like it doesn't matter like it just takes a long time to do it and if you don't have the time to dedicate with that, then like maybe your goal isn't grinding on arena, right? Like you're focusing on getting better or doing something else. But if you're dedicating that time into it, there's important things to try to keep in mind, I think, as you're doing it to try to like manage yourself and manage what it is that's going on. Is if you get into a situation where you're starting to get really frustrated because you're losing in a bunch of row or something like that. And like, this is the time I set aside to play arena, but you're just getting mad. Like just stop playing. Yeah. Like, just get up and walk away. Yeah, one thing that I'll do is when I'm like seriously grinding is if I lose a game, I'll walk away from the computer and I'll like do push-ups or sit-ups or whatever. And the entire time, I'll be like thinking about it or I'll go for a walk. If I like lose two in a row and I can tell I'm starting to tell, it's like I'm just going to go walk around my neighborhood real quick and do like a quick five-minute walk and just be like, I need to calm down or whatever. I need to like, because I can see myself potentially getting in a tilt situation and that's not going to help me. And doing these things is a good way to decompress and also look back on how I could have played those games better. What's so such healthy options? Yeah, you can also just go get an ice cream sandwich. <laughs> I don't do a lot of them. I'm, I'm not very fit, but it's also a thing where it's like I need to do this, and it's like a good like punishment or whatever, right? That's <laughs> the like... weirdest humble brag ever. You're like, look, when I lose, I do a lot of push-ups. And as you can see, I'm not very fit, so I don't do I don't do a lot of push-ups. <laughs> it's the weirdest flex yeah. I've ever seen. My scale and my mythic rank are very similar. Two fifty, baby. <laughs> Uh, um, jokes aside, um, yeah, <laughs> I didn't realize that when I said it. <laughs> I wasn't trying to be a flex or anything. It's just something that I re I started doing on Arena. I didn't do it on Hearthstone, but uh, I do it on Arena, and it has been helpful. And, and and I don't. This is another thing about me is that I don't seriously grind a whole lot, and there hasn't been a whole lot of reason. But the first month for Mythic, I really wanted to hit it that day, and I was playing a bunch and a bunch and a bunch. And I had to do something to stop myself, and that became a thing to do because it pulls you out of it for long enough and 
pulls your attention off it long enough. Yeah, there's also a weird thing that I've noticed with arena laddering because there's this pressure to like climb, right? That I see people constantly asking, what's the best deck to ladder with? What's the best deck? I want the highest win rate in the fastest time possible. Like, what's the best deck to ladder with? And I think that sometimes that's the wrong question when looking at it. Because, like, the the thing is, that whatever the consensus on the best deck to ladder with, maybe a deck you hate playing. You might play it and be like, this is not fun. I'm not having a good time. I'm not enjoying myself. This feels like torture for me to do it. But everyone says this is the best deck. It's like, well, then stop playing it. Play something else. Like, there are so many different possible decks right now, particularly in this standard environment that you can play with, that will win games. And as long as you're winning more games than you're losing, you will climb the ladder, right? And even if it's not, like, the optimal thing. Like, the optimal lists maybe have, like, a 60% win rate, and then, like, you might be playing one that has, like, a 55% win rate, but you're having more fun doing it. Just play that one. Yeah. Well, also another thing, too, is, like, adapting your list on that thing, right? It's, like... I wouldn't normally play some of the cards that are on my sideboard right now, but I keep running into like these Esper decks. So like I added two more Planeswalkers to my sideboard for the Grill deck and another Spyglass because I'm just like, okay, I'm going to try and like target these people because everyone seems to think Esper is what you're supposed to do, which is like a little mini lesson for grinding there. But also just being like, hey, I'm going to like fight this problem and not get frustrated by it, right? It's like working towards solutions instead of stopping at problems, right? You have like anytime you're presented with a problem, there's a fork right? You can like stop it and like, like succumb to it or you can try and overcome it. Yeah. Yeah. And also I want to kind of interject here, like a nuts and bolts piece of advice. If you're trying to go from the bottom all the way up to mythic, as far as like what you should be looking at and what you should be doing is that if you are in from bronze to gold, playing best of one seems to be mathematically like the faster way to go about doing it because you can't lose ranks. And so just like firing out as many games as quickly as possible, like will ladder you faster and then once it gets to the point that you hit gold and you can lose ranks for losing, then going to best of three will ladder you faster than best of one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, unless you've broken it, which, like, people... Right. Yeah, like, that's the only time it's, like, better to play best of one. Like, there was a, a hot minute where everyone was on red, and Esper Cutie with all the life gain was just, like, I easily grew into Mythic on that. So, like, no, that's another moment, though, but just... That's another thing, too, right? Where it's, like, mathematically, it's better for me to play two out of three, but it's, like, well, I think I'm in a good position and I'm loving my deck, so I'm going to do this and make it more fun and hit Mythic that way. Right, which is perfectly fine to do. But, like, mm-hmm. if you are looking for that information, I think we would be, like, in a bad situation to do an episode like this and not tell people sure. that, like, mathematically it is faster to do it that way if that is a thing that you're looking for. But that doesn't mean that it's the way you have to do it. Like, mm-hmm. you and I have both hit Mythic before playing Best of One. Yeah. <laughs> like, just because we were having fun doing it. Well, yeah, I- I've done it when it was the only option and when I had the option to play 2 out of 3. Right. Yeah, so... Yeah, I actually enjoy Best of One back when... I think Nexus in the format uh, made it better. That's my hot take. We're moving on. Uh, (laughs) um, No, but when it comes to grinding, it really is, for lack of a better term, a grind. And that's the reason why, right? It's involving you to be repetitive, do the same thing over and over again. And honestly, a lot of times you're going to hit these patches of great results, good results. And that can be... If you tie your uh, self-worth and magic with your results too much, that can be really swingy. And I think it's okay... That uh, to stop grinding and like stop playing these things if it, you think it's affecting your personal life because you or just your life in general because you don't want magic to be a thing that consumes your life fully unless it's your job in which case you need to be work doing these type of things right um, or like maybe you're making content or whatever and at that point you need to have a bigger relationship with magic but if you're not having fun and you feel like you have to grind the top one thousand mythic and it's going to ruin your Sunday right just don't do it. Watch CW's The Flash. Yeah, watch CW's The Flash and see what's up with Savitar this season. Like, you you can just... 
you can just do things instead, right? And I think that's going to be another thing we talk about when it comes to grinding real life events too, but don't feel like you're forced to do this because once again, it goes back to your goal, right? You, all these expectations on you when it comes to magic are only made by you. Nobody else has expectations for you for the most part, right? Like maybe your friends will help hold you to those standards you have yourself, but they're all self-standards. You're not going to be a terrible person or a terrible magic player because you didn't hit top 1,000. Like PV isn't going to be top 1,000. Now, mostly because he doesn't need to be, but <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you don't have to be like a top 1,000 player to be a good player of magic, right? Like Ari Lax probably won't be top 1,000 or whatever because he just doesn't play arena. Maybe he'll make a push, right? But he's still really good at magic. It doesn't like define you as a person, and failing your goal doesn't define you. So that's an important thing to talk about. Uh, we've talked about how to like kind of prevent tilt in these situations and understanding the grinding, especially in arena, which is really like we talked about like click, 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 click. It's so easy to get stuck in the loop. So just try and take moments to step out of the loop. I think that's important. Now let's talk about real life events because that's much harder to do at these events. Trey, when we're talking about grinding, you know, we're going to say IQs, uh, GPs, invitationals, SCGs. These are all the same thing. They're all in-person events. How hard is it for you when things aren't going your way to get out of it? Because you're like stuck at the event hall. A lot of times you traveled far for these events. Yeah. Um, so there are two things. One, I normally try to bring some other games with me. Mm-hmm. Like I'll have something else in the bag, something simple. Sometimes that's other magic formats, whether that's like popper or mental magic or like something else um or something completely unrelated like bring a switch or love letter yeah love letter um you know something like that like something else to do to like take myself away from what's going on in the event or anything like that uh second thing that i'll do is that like a lot of times you're traveling for events and sometimes you're traveling to like you know some small town near where you are where there's not a lot going on but sometimes you're traveling to places you've never been like, see that as an opportunity and take that as an opportunity to, like, see part of the city. Like, if things aren't going well for you, like, go around. Like, go to a museum or go to a, uh, you know, a restaurant or something like that. Like, you've never in a place that you've never been. Like, try to take advantage of the travel aspect of magic, which is a thing that I think as magic players we're pretty quick to fail mm-hmm. <laughs> at doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's something that I think that can be a, a big benefit to, like oh, I feel stuck or I'm not doing well or I'm not having a good time, like, just leave and go do something else in the place where it is that you are. And sometimes that can be simple, right? Like, uh, you know, uh, so we've seen people before just, like, go to a movie. <laughs> like, yeah. like, hey, I, oh, dude, I'm going to see the Avengers. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. yeah. Bye. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's it's true. Yeah. And so, you know, Trey's talking about an example where you do really badly, right, and your event's over. And that's important too, right? Um, you know, everyone's going to have an event when they O3 drop. Everyone does it. No Everybody. one's not done it. Yeah, you can look at the classics at, on the Sundays of every SCG event. There are a lot of good players playing the classic. Yeah. Right? It's just the way it goes. And it's important to know how to balance those things. But let's talk more about when, like, things are going rocky, but you're still alive for top eight. Right? Or you're still alive for day two or whatever. Because those are the ones that are really hard. Right? Because you need to persevere through grinding through these things. Trey, is there, like, how do you frame it in your mind about results and stuff? Especially, like, in a team environment, too. You, know? you can talk about last week, maybe. Since that is one where, like, your team relies on you, you know? That can be a grind, too. Yeah, that becomes harder, right? Like, in an individual tournament, it really doesn't bother me. Like, ever. You know? I've played so many tournaments at this point that, like, if I'm... Whatever my performance is, I try to approach each round as, like, I'm going to play this round, and it doesn't really matter one way or another, right? Because whether I won the last round or the previous round or win the next round, it doesn't change what's going to happen in this one. And I try to keep that mindset, like, as I'm going through. 
But with a team situation, it does get to be a little bit different because you do feel that pressure from the people sitting next to you, right? That if you lose, you're not just letting yourself down in that situation, but you're also these other two people who need you to perform in order for them to advance and whatever their goals are and everything else. And that becomes harder to manage. But, you know, generally in that, it's just like maintaining open communication with your teammates, right? Like talking through what's going on and everything else, because odds are they're not going to beat up on you about it with whatever happens anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, And still, you're going to benefit from having that same approach. Like if you're not going into it with expectations, you're not going into it with pressure. And that can be like hard to do throughout the event. You got to try to find ways to recenter yourself. Like sometimes that means taking a break. Sometimes that means like stepping away from the other players or your team and like putting headphones on and listening to music. Sometimes that means going and getting some skyline chili (laughs) in between rounds, like, you know, whatever it is that you need to do in order to like try to get back to that neutral position to put you in the best situation to play the games. Yeah. So I, I set you up on the team of thing because you everything we just talked about, you can just do in a normal magic tournament. That's right. Right? Like everything we just did, like talk to friends, go do music, all that stuff. It's all just the same. And that that was something I wanted to kind of point out. It's like these grinding events, they're all just events. They're all just the same. Right? They're just good times to go hang out with friends and compete in a tournament and challenge yourself to be the best version of yourself you can be. And you don't have to play the tournaments and you don't have to win the tournaments, right? It's an important thing because I think what happens a lot of times, especially people that are just starting to grind events, you know, and they're just starting to go to a bunch of events weekend, 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 it can get really taxing, especially if you're not doing well, you know? I just said that you don't have to do well at these events, but, you know, you go to these events because you want to succeed. So it's kind of like this easier said than done thing, right? Where it's like, yeah, I heard on Even Odds podcast, it doesn't matter, but I also got ninth like five weeks in a row. I spent all this money, I spent all this time, I stayed away from my kids or my girlfriend or my whatever, right? And because of that, now, you know, I have nothing to show for it. And that can be taxing. Oh man, ninth five weeks in a row is the type of thing that's going to make me go a sixth week in a row. <laughs> can't guarantee that. <laughs> that would be rough. Yeah, be But just rough. in general, like that, the, the reason that I say that is because like you're performing well. Like if you're getting ninth five weeks in a row, you are consistently performing well. Things have not broken your way, but like you're performing among the top people in the tournament every week. And it's just, you just got to keep putting yourself out there to get that breaker to go the other way. 100%. Right? You know, if you're getting like 47th nine weeks in a row or six weeks in a row, you're going to be like, I'm going to take a couple weekends off. <laughs> sure, right? Yeah. But I think even if you're at ninth, it's fine to take weekends off. If you're For just, sure. if you're just like, listen, I know that I could do this. I've gotten a little unlucky, or maybe I didn't play my best here, or just whatever at those like five events, right? Just being like, hey, I think it's better value for me not to play, recenter myself, take a week off, and like lose a week to qualify for the RPDQ, but be ready to go for the next weekend. Yeah, and you're going to get pressures from your friends, right? Because mm-hmm. you're going to have friends that are going to those events, and they're going to be like, ah, I can't believe you're not going, but like, if you don't want to go, don't go. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's fine. Like, if you're my friend, I'm going to be like, lame loser, but in my head, I'm like, oh, whatever, you know? Right. Like, I don't really think that thing, I'm just messing with you, right? It's just like, I want you to go because you're my friend. But if, like, it's better for you, I want whatever is best for my friends. So Right. And let's talk about the inverse of it, too. Like, mm-hmm. like shifting your expectations up, right? Like, you're a good example of this right now. Like, you didn't necessarily set out this season to grind SCG, mm-hmm. right? But now you're sitting at 27 SCG points and qualified for the first Invitational. And, like, you might have more incentive now to look more at, like, SCG events to travel for two that you didn't think about before yeah like worcester for example right like yeah. i'm thinking about flying to new york right now right exactly like and that's a thing that you didn't set out as your goal but now like as a result of a couple like good results it's like well maybe now that's worth considering mm-hmm. right like because your positioning on the ladder is now worth maybe shifting those expectations 
Yeah. And that's a thing that can happen too. So it's a thing about like you can stay fluid as to how you're going to approach things. Yeah, for sure. And just it goes back to what we talked about at the beginning of like knowing your goals and reevaluating your goals and just being at like peace with them too. It's also a thing where it's like, I'm trying to figure out, is that something I want, right? It's like, I'm 70th on the SCG leaderboard. It's not like I'm like, it'd be one thing if I was like top, like if we had one or whatever and we were in like the top 32, top 25 and I had buys, I would feel incentivized to go to Cleveland. I'd feel incentivized to go to Worcester because it's like, I've got these buys. How often do you really get these chances, right? If you're not grinding all the time, I should try and capitalize on this opportunity. But for me, it's like, is this something I want to do even though I'm in a position to do it, right? And I don't think there's a wrong answer. I think if it's if I want to grind SCG events, more power to me. And if I choose to like, hey, I really like playing SCG events. I'm in a good position. But unless I have a great invite, and this is basically what I've decided is like, I'm going to do SCG uh, Kentucky. I might do Worcester because my friend Jason lives there. So like I could go and see him. Um, and then I'm going to do the Invitational. And at the end of that, I'm going to reevaluate where I'm at with SCGs, right? And if I have like a good Kentucky and a good Invitational, it's like, well, Maybe I just, in season two, I need to, like, make a push or try and do some stuff. Or set up for maybe 2021, you know. Or 2020, I'm sorry, being, like, the year I make a push, right? And just being, like, I'm going to start playing these events to get to know people, et cetera, et cetera. So just being open and being aware where you're at can be really important. And just being honest with yourself, too, right? Yeah. And this gets back to, like, this kind of all touches on a key thing, which we've said on here several times, which is playing this game should be fun. Mm Mm-hmm. And if it stops being fun and it reaches a point that you're not having a good time doing it, then you maybe need to look at it and reevaluate where your goals are and, and find a place where you can approach the game in a way that you get back to doing that, mm-hmm. right? And if grinding's not fun, then don't do it. And if grinding is fun, then go for it. Yeah. And, you know, and just kind of balance it out that way. And that, doesn't, that may sound like a bit of a cop-out answer, but, like, I really think that that's at the core of it. Well, I think it's a cop-out answer if, like, you have sort of a wrong mindset with it. Not to say that if you th- if you thought that you have the wrong mindset, but it could be a symptom of that, where it feels like no, you have to do all these things if you're a Magic player. It's like no, once again, these things are like the pressure is on you because of you. Yeah. Full stop. Yeah, it's a thing that I think is really beautiful about Magic that you can like approach it in so many different ways, and it's all still the same game, mm-hmm. right? Like I have friends who do nothing but play like kitchen table drafts, and they don't ever do anything else. They go buy a bo- one box of the new set. They get together once a week and draft that set till the box is gone, and then that's all they do, mm-hmm. right? And they play the same game that I play. They just play it in a completely different way than I do, but that's what's fun to them. Yeah, and the game can be whatever you want, you know. Uh, I use Spencer Hallen of Constructive Criticism uh, as an example. He didn't like playing PBDQs. He was miserable at them. He didn't enjoy them. He was just like, I'm just not going to play them. Doesn't make Spencer worse. Just make Spencer aware of what matters to him and Magic. Right, and I think that's really healthy. Where other people would be like, "I really hate PBDQs. I'll see you next Saturday." Right? Yeah, that's the thing I don't understand. I see that all the time. Yeah, and you know, a lot of it depends a lot on your goals, right? Like, you can hate PBDQs and your goal be the Pro Tour or whatever, or RPTQs making those right. And it's like, well, I gotta play PBDQs because of this, right? That's fine. You just have to be have to be not accepting, accepting, but like aware, right? Just yeah. all about being that. And that that's, you know, I know we've been kind of like talking about the same thing now for a little bit, but I think that's really the truth about grinding events is just knowing what you want from them, knowing what you want out of a magic tournament and just trying to get that. Yeah. And then there's like basic stuff like grinding in real life and then also grinding on the computer and everything else. You got to take care of yourself, like bring snacks, stay hydrated, get up and walk around every once in a while, like get sleep, get sleep. Like, you have to do those kind of basic things in order to, like, 
do well and to consistently perform. Yeah, like you can do well, whatever, not on those things, but it's so much harder. Like, just just remember this. Like, if your goal, like, let's say you are like uh, someone who's just starting to grind magic tournaments, or whatever, right? And you're like, I want to go to the art. Well, I guess not RPTs anymore, but the, I want to get the MCQs. I want to play in the arena tournaments, whatever. And I'm going to do that by staying up all night and waking up really early to grind and not like taking good care of my body, drinking a bunch of energy drinks, doing all this kind of stuff. All the things you know aren't good. You can succeed. You're just working harder, not smarter. Right? Yeah. And that magic tournaments are not set up in a way to generally like take care of you as a person. Yeah. <laughs> like they're for just sure. not. Right. So you have to take steps to try to do that for yourself. Yeah. Bring nuts, bring jerky, just do whatever. Like do whatever's gonna help you get through the event. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean our our friend has has this same bag always of trail mix at every event. Yeah. And in between rounds, he's like an MTG dad, like trail mix. Yeah. Trail mix. I think it's great. Also it's great. Hess has also realized that like if he eats at events, like real meals, he gets tired or whatever, right? And like gets out of out of sync or whatever. And that's something I've heard from multiple people. I'm the opposite. I have to eat something at an event. Right. If I don't eat, I start to crash and burn. Yeah. So it's just being aware of yourself, paying attention to yourself on the grind, figuring it all out. This has been the feel good episode of the Even Odds Pod. <laughs> yeah, hopefully we didn't grind away too much at you there with all of our <laughs> grinder talk and hopefully you found that informative. If you have any questions you want to talk about it more, feel free to contact me on Twitter at Mason E. Clark. You can also find me on Facebook with the same name, Mason Clark. You can also find Trey at TreyMC on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. I'm sure he'll be glad to talk to you. And if you like the show and want to talk about it more in detail with other patrons of the show and like-minded people who want to, you know, are trying to work on these things, go to patreon.com slash evenoddspodcast. You become a patron of $1 more, you get access to the Discord. We're halfway to our goal where you'll get the extra Patreon-only episode each month. So when we hit $100, you'll get access to that episode. So you give a dollar now, and in a few bit, a few months, you can go back and listen to all the episodes, or maybe a bunch of you will do it all at once, right? And you'll unlock it immediately. You can always give more as well, but the show will be free. But if that's another place you can go. If you're looking for like-minded people, that's the place to be. So check that out. And make sure to check out the other shows on the network. They're going to be able to help you with things just like this. Constructive Criticism, talk about it every week. It's the flagship show. Spencer Howland, Seth Manfield, John Stern. Three amazing players. I imagine they're going to talk about the Mythic Invitational. Seth got top 16 this past weekend. They just had a great episode with Seth uh, Seth Gone. John Spencer did a one-on-one talking about uh, modern ranking since the episode that us two guested on. So if you didn't see that, if you go back about three weeks ago, me and uh, Trey were on an episode where we talked all about modern. So you can go check that out. And they kind of have a, the sequel episode to it. And they, they reference our episode a lot. And they're like, hey, it's been three weeks. Like, what's changed in that time? Let's talk about these things, the conclusions we came to. And I think it's a good moment of reevaluating where you're at. And it was, you know, maybe I got more out of it because of that and I was involved in it, right? But it, it's a helpful thing. And I think you can get a lot of it as well. Uh, make sure to check out the other shows on the network. We have Homeward Path. It's a show for like MTG dads, lots of people on the grind. Uh, you know, speaking of grind, right? Like that's something he has to talk about a lot where it's like, you have to balance all these things. It can be really hard. And that might be a show that might fit this goal. If there's something like, Hey, I think I've struggled with this. You might want to check that out. Cause it's like a reoccurring theme I've heard. Um, we have, they have the hive mind, it's an MTG talk show. We have common knowledge. It's a popper podcast, all popper all the time. Maybe that's all I got. I love popper. Popper's good. It's fine. Foil. <laughs> it's fine. It's, it's like, I enjoy playing Popper, but I could not play like a Popper event right now, I think. Like, I think Popper GPs are coming, 
But like, I don't know if I could play multiple Papa GPs. I might be burnt out by like day one of the first one. They, they, the games can be a slog sometimes. They can be a slog, and I, I don't know. Just I like those kind of games, but I just it doesn't click the same way for me. It's not like standard or modern where I'm just like, let's go, 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 go. I don't right. know. Maybe I just haven't played enough. Or I haven't found the right deck. That could be it. But if you listen to Common Knowledge. They'll help you. They'll find, they'll find it for you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So head on over and check out the other shows on the network. Thank you all so much for coming. Hopefully this episode was helpful, and uh, roll with us next week. So this weekend, we got the teaser trailer for War of the Spark. And now we know that it's the culmination of the entire Gatewatch storyline that's happened up until this point. And now we also know that it is 100% copied from Marvel's Infinity War storyline. Wow, okay, like we wouldn't notice. I mean, it's literally Nickel Thanos has been gathering powerful artifacts from across the plains that once assembled make him an unstoppable force against the planeswalking Avengers. Here's the real surprising thing, I'm not even mad about it. I'm actually incredibly excited about it. And I even love the secondary part of it, that you have magic starting in the 90s, that they're now stealing from a story that came out in the 90s originally and wasn't the most popular thing at the time. Magic wasn't the most popular thing at the time. Now both of those things are at the height of their popularity. Here we are 26 years later. I love the idea that they've gone back to it. I find it weirdly, oddly satisfying that there's this loop of storytelling that's happening. And I, for one, welcome our new Infinity Gauntlet Dragon Overlord. And I'm excited to see what happens. I also think it's fun to try to think about what the analogs are of Magic and the Gatewatch to the Avengers. I've come up with a few already. You've got Nicobolus, Thanos, Ovs, Gideon, Captain America, Ovs, Ovs, <laughs> Karn, Vision, because they, they're both android men. Sure. Wait, right? wait, 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 stereotype them. You tell me what it is. That's not my job. Um, I don't write the wow. Okay, you do. <laughs> uh, and then you've got Jace's Doctor Strange, you know? And so I think it'll be fun. If you're listening and you want to join in on this, tweet us at the Even Odds Pod and help us fill out your own uh, Avengers Planeswalker rosters. And we'll compare notes and we'll uh, get into an argument about it. <laughs> Roll this next week.